The Planet Football Podcast is brought to you by the SeatGeek app, the easiest way to find a great deal, pay for your ticket, and get to your seat. Download the SeatGeek app and enter our code PLANET for $20 off your first purchase. We're also sponsored by FanDuel, the leader in one-week fantasy football with more winners and more payouts than any other site. Enter promo code PLANET at FANDUEL.com to play a risk-free tournament at up to $10. Not every player um, who kisses his shirt after he's scoring plays for love. <laughs> Some of them play for money. And, that. and yeah. Women uh, deserve equal opportunity. And by the way, so do um, people of all color. So do people of all orientation. Um, there needs to be a huge consciousness shift in our world of equality. Welcome to SI's Planet Football Podcast, where each week we discuss the latest in the world of soccer. I am SI.com soccer editor Avi Creditor, joined today by SI senior writer Grant Wall and SI.com's Ben Littleton. Uh, Grant, you were just in Columbus for MLS Cup. So I let's, was. Let's, let's start with that, and then we'll get into a little bit of Champions League, and then we've got a couple of great interviews, actually, uh, that we want you to listen to. Grant, you were able to sit down with Abby Wambach and Christian Seifert, president and head of the, uh, the Bundesliga. Um, but first MLS cup, how was, how was the experience? It's always fun. Uh, you know, the, the things I'll remember most about this weekend were just an amazing atmosphere from both sets of fans in Columbus. Here are two teams that maybe don't spend the most of the teams in major league soccer. And yet they played good soccer this year. They got to the final. They deserve to be there. And the traveling fans from Portland were amazing. You know, just, I don't know what the exact number was, 1500, 2000, but, uh, they were a big part of the final, and, um, you know, it was a crazy final. Uh, what more can you say? I mean, like, first-minute goal off a terrible goalkeeper error by uh, Steve Clark with Diego Valeri getting some credit for some initiative to direct the ball in the goal. Uh, not great goalkeeping all around. Uh, Adam Corsi uh, botched a play that led to the Columbus goal. Um, and then we had three goals in the first 18 minutes and then none the rest of the game, which nobody would have predicted. So, um in the end, I think Portland's a deserving winner. Uh, you know, they really got hot at the right time. They figured things out with the big tactical switch that Caleb Porter made. Uh, and they're a good team on the road. Uh, they're the first team to win an MLS Cup final on the road since it was switched uh, in 2011 to having uh, one of the teams involved host. Uh, so that's a real feat. But uh uh, really cool also to see the response in Portland where they had a giant parade and in a rainstorm and really felt major league the whole way through. Yeah, I, the the reception at the airport to welcome the team back and then the parade the following day I thought was was great. So congratulations to the the Portland Timbers and their fans on a on a deserved MLS Cup and a good way to wrap uh, two decades of MLS in the books. How about that? Um, let's let's shift gears to the Champions League now. The group stage is over. The draw will be taking place on Monday for the knockout stage. Ben, let's bring you in. Uh, I guess what uh, Chelsea and Arsenal really ruined the narrative, right? We were all ready to, to bury the Premier League, and now here they are um, back back in the knockout stage. Well, they did and they didn't because uh, the real narrative, I guess, is Manchester United going out. Um, the, the flaws are not just the whole Premier League, but there's certainly major issues at Old Trafford because they were not given... A difficult group with Wolfsburg, Eindhoven and CSK Moscow, but a succession of poor results and poor performances, notably a nil-nil draw at home to PSV, an away draw at CSK Moscow and a defeat in Eindhoven um, on match day one, contributed to United actually having quite a difficult task on match day six, which was to, to win at Wolfsburg, a team that were second in Germany last year. And are unbeaten at home in 28, 28 games. So um, it was never going to be that easy for them. But the nature of the defeat was really quite shocking and, and shambolic, really, because Van Hal took some serious risks. This is Van Hal, who is normally safety first, very defensive, five goalless draws in their last nine games. When you think that Sir Alex Ferguson didn't have any goalless draws in his last two years as coach. This is what the United fans are having to get used to at the moment, and it's why they're not liking it. But some of his selection decisions were were surprising. They 
ended up with a um, whole load of inexperienced players on the pitch, not just Anthony Martial, whom they spent 50 million euros on, but others like Varela, a right back who has only played once in the last two years. Nick Powell, a midfielder whose last game was 16 months ago, a 4-0 defeat. And, and Powell came on as a sub for Juan Mata, who is uh, United's probably most creative player. So there was all sorts of issues with the selection, the tactics. They were going for it a little bit at the end, but you know this is a United side that has played defensively for the last year. So when they are not playing defensively, they're all over the place. But Van Gaal says they're still on track. You know, 18 months later, £300 million spent on players. They're only three points off the top of the Premier League. So it all comes down to how you define success and Van Gaal will say, well, we could still win the title. We should still finish top four. So why are you complaining about the process? Whereas the fans are all about, we want attacking football. We want something more for for what we're seeing. So it's a debate that's raging. But that said, United's failure to to be in the draw on Monday is a huge one. Yeah, it... uh... Pretty staggering. And then, of course, you have the added twist of the knife when you see Chicharito keeping scoring goals for, for Leverkusen. Uh, it was a, just an awful group stage for Man United. And in general, they lose Luke Shaw, who who was you know, arguably one of their best players early on. Um, and, and now he's done, and, and we don't know when he'll be back. Um, but hey, for United, they could always win the Europa League and, and get back in Champions League that way, right, Grant? <sighs> you know, I, I think they'll qualify for Champions League next year just in the Premier League, but it's... It's pretty amazing at this point just how much money, just a ridiculous amount of money that has been spent by United uh, in the last couple of years to go out from an easy group in the Champions League. There's no excuse for that. So I, I do wonder. I mean, I'd be curious to hear what you're thinking or what you're seeing over there, Ben, as far as Van Hall's uh, future, if he's on the hot seat at all. Uh, and it seems like there's kind of people lining up as potential successors right now. The obvious ones are Ryan Giggs, who's been right next to him, but uh, you know Pep Guardiola's name gets mentioned. Uh, Carlo Ancelotti's name gets mentioned. Uh, even Gary Neville, I've I've heard if you know people say if he's you know if he does really well at Valencia and he can get off to a great start this weekend or this week, um, you know might be in the running for that. What's your sense? Yeah, the Neville thing is really interesting, and so is the Ryan Giggs one because. All of Ryan Giggs' former teammates are being very openly critical about Van Gaal and the style of play. Paul Scholes, who never gave any interviews as a player, is now one of the most outspoken pundits in in the British game. He's constantly criticising Van Gaal for the sterile football. Rio Ferdinand is the same. So is Roy Keane. All these guys played alongside Ryan Giggs. And Giggs is just saying nothing. It's as though he's doesn't want to defend Van Gaal because he doesn't want to associate himself <laughs> with, uh, with with what he's seeing. And so you wonder, you know, if he does get the job eventually, would he just go a totally different way and play, you know, a way in which he was brought up to to play the game, which is certainly just a more attacking style. Um, but the noises from the top of the club, certainly this week, have been that they're happy with Van Gaal and the progress. And I guess from a financial sense they should be because they're still a commercial money-making giant they're profitable despite um missing out on the champions league in that david moyes season um and so i kind of look back to the first press conference that van Gaal gave where in the first two minutes he spoke about the commercial needs of the club and the importance of getting in big sponsors and you just thought well this, a this is a guy that gets it he understands what it's like to be at the top of a big club but also it was almost sad in that, you know, this is modern football now and it's no longer just about winning titles or playing, the, playing attacking, exciting football. It's about being a big club and having charisma and having a personality and, and getting those deals to have an official noodle partner in, in a country in Southeast Asia that, that helps build the coffers. And United are going to have no problem buying players or affording players in January, it's just a question of whether the elite players will will want to come to them. I can't imagine them being able to sign anyone from Bayern Munich because if you look at the state Munich are in compared to the state United are in, why would you leave? Why would why would you go to United at the moment? They represent a risk. So I think Van Gaal will certainly see out this season, even though fans are beginning to turn against him. 
Um, he has one more year after that, and I guess we'll see what happens to Pep Guardiola um, when he makes his decision, which will be announced, I guess, between now and January. But it appears that City are closing in on him. I think he'd be a better fit for Arsenal. Um, and then if he leaves Bayern Munich, will Ancelotti take the reins at Bayern, as you suggested, Grant, um, last month? Or, or will he be interested in the United job? Pretty shocking that Manchester United is seen as a risk as as a destination for players. I think that in itself is just speaks volumes to you know whether anyone is seeing this club as a success or not. I mean that that's that's a pretty strong indictment. Right, well, I mean that, I, was, that was a destination, and now it isn't. So you're only looking at players from Bayern Munich, Real Madrid, or Barcelona, who are clearly the top three clubs in the world. For them, going to United is a clear step down. Oh, of course. For other players, it obviously isn't for Riyad Mahrez who's at Leicester, you know, obviously it isn't a step down. For Sadio Mane, who's at Southampton, it's obviously not a step down. But if you really want to get Lewandowski, Thomas Muller, even Aaron Robin, you know, it's going to be tricky. Oh, of course. But but that said, that the fact that United now has to settle for that that second tier, they're, they're no longer a shoo-in for, for, you know, the who's who uh, around the world. That's That doesn't reflect well. <laughs> Um, let's let's keep it in in the Premier League, but but also in the Champions League. Chelsea they end up winning their group. They avoid the absolute worst case scenario of having Iker Casillas knock out Jose Mourinho at Stamford Bridge. Uh, Arsenal they lose three of their first four games, uh, and they go through Olivier Giroud a hat trick uh, in the game that they had to have, and they had to win by two goals, and they make it happen. Ben, uh, were you surprised that Arsenal was was able to to get through? Well, they played really well. They definitely deserved it. The, the two things that surprised me, one, how they ever lost to Dinamo Zagreb and Olympiacos <laughs> yeah. in the first place. How bad must they have been to lose those first two games? Well, they were for a variety of reasons. But also Olympiacos actually made it quite easy for them. Because if you watch the first half hour of that game, Olympiacos played as though they were the ones who were needing to win by two goals. They were so cavalier in their approach. They were playing such an open game. When in fact, they were the guys who needed to keep it tight. And they, in fact, have a coach, Marco Silva, who usually does keep it tight. He's quite good at playing on the counter, keeping things tight um, in a league where they're expected to win every game. But he still plays quite a cagey style. They just opened up massively uh, to Arsenal um, in Greece. And that really played into the Gunners' hands. But all credit to Olivier Giroud, who's had a lot of critics in his time at Arsenal. Um, But he rode out the storm and... You can sometimes, when he's playing like he like he did in Greece, you can see why Arsene Wenger decides not to spend the fifty million pounds that he's got burning a hole in his pocket on a top striker. You know, I would also add a couple of things here with Arsenal. Even though they were truly horrible, Zagreb, I, I have no idea how they lost to that team, I and mean, that is just a a bad team. Uh, and obviously, losing at home to Olympiacos was pretty bad too, but you still felt the whole way through that Arsenal was going to find a way to get it done in advance as the second place team and do what they kind of usually do, which is go out in the round of 16. Um, Chelsea won the group in the end. And, you know, you look at all the problems that Chelsea's had this year. And if you win the group in Champions League, that's a good thing for the draw. It means they're going to face a team that probably should be beatable in the round of 16. You never know what could happen after that. And uh, maybe this is a way for uh, Jose Mourinho to sort of save the season uh, you know, by focusing on Champions League and seeing what they can do. And Chelsea is hardly playing great right now, but they're playing better than they were. And, uh, you know, this is uh, an intriguing subplot to follow, I guess, is their their Champions League cause. Absolutely. Yeah, it could be their best chance of getting into next season's Champions League. Yeah. Winning this season's. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you look at Manchester City also. Uh, they, they won arguably the toughest group uh, in, in the competition. Um, so much pressure on them in Europe, and and they came through. They've been dealing with a, a lot of injuries as well, and they powered through. Uh, the other group winners: Real Madrid, Wolfsburg, Atletico Madrid, Barcelona, Bayern Munich, and Zenit. In addition to Chelsea and Man City, uh, I want to give it up for Ghent. I, I I just wanted to say one thing: this team gets uh, to the knockout rounds. As far as I know, the first Belgian team to get to the knockout rounds of Champions League yep. since when? Like since they, I think it's since two thousand when Anderlecht did it, but the format was different back then. Right. So, just a, a terrific accomplishment. Probably a measure of how bad Valencia was, yeah. uh, uh, also here. But uh, 
you know, full credit to Ghent, man. I'm kind of curious to see uh, who they end up matching up against and if they have a shot. Well, they're definitely... When the draw was made, the managing director said, oh, it's a difficult group. If we get one point or maybe three <laughs> points, we'll be, we'll be very happy. But the way they played every game, they just attacked teams. So, you know, they really went for the wins and, and they fully deserved to be, uh, to be where they were because they were better than Valencia and Leon o- over the six games. And you, you kind of look for that Cinderella story, a team that can make a deep run that no one saw coming. You don't really have many other options. The the other runner-ups, PSG, PSV Eindhoven, Benfica, Juventus, Roma, Arsenal, and then Dynamo Kiev. Uh, and if you draw Dynamo Kiev, you get to play the road game behind closed doors because their fans are apparently racist. So <laughs> I would also say, too, uh, the Mexicans at PSV uh, mm-hmm. deserve to be highlighted a little bit, led by Andres Guardado, for them to... Uh, get the result they needed at Old Trafford and get out of the group um, that had Man United in it. Uh, pretty impressive. Um, if you look at the overall production of Mexican national team players in Champions League, uh, not bad at all uh, So this year so far. And you, know, you look at Americans, and there's only two who have played, and one of those was a surprise in Julian Green yesterday. Um, you know, Fabian Johnson right now is playing some really high-level soccer. I know they didn't beat Man City, but... Uh, he's playing, he's one of their best players in the past week. That's against Man City. That's against Bayern Munich and a big win for Gladbach. So at least Fabian Johnson uh, waving the U.S. flag uh, in Europe. Very much. That's scored against Sevilla as as well. Um, ben, before we let you go, when, when you take a look at at the, the potential in the draw, um, I guess PSG is probably the obvious team that you want to avoid if you're if you're in that that top pot, but what uh, what are you looking at from from teams in the runner-up group uh, that can that can really create some problems for ha- perhaps for a Barcelona or a Bayern or Real Madrid? Well, Juventus went deep last year, and you know they've had a poor start to the season, uh, but they are slowly getting back into it. They've won five games in a row in Serie A, ominous form really as they fight their way back into the Scudetto race. PSG would definitely be the team to avoid. I think Juventus and Arsenal. Are teams that other sides won't want to play against, but as um, as Grant said, you know, for me, it's all about Ghent and maybe even Kiev, who are back in the um, knockout stage for the first time since 1999, when their strike force was Andrei Shevchenko and Sergei Rebrov. And to bring it full circle, Rebrov is now their coach. So it's a really nice story, and we talk about how it, it feels like a close shot because essentially. Barcelona, Bayern Munich and Real Madrid are by far and away the best three teams in Europe. I mean, this is something we've both written about on the site in the past. But, you know, because of the nature of a knockout tournament, you are liable to see surprise teams go a long way. Last year it was Juventus. The year before it was um, Atletico Madrid. The year before it was Dortmund. So, you, you know, it is open for a side like Kiev, maybe even like Ghent, to go a long way in the competition. Perhaps PSV or Wolfsburg could be that side. But, you know, aside from being able to name probably, you know, three of the four semi-finalists right now, that fourth place is definitely up for grabs. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry, I was totally cut off. <laughs> uh, sorry, yeah, and I see the time, I so let we'll let you go. No, 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 you, you did. That was perfect. Um yeah, absolutely. And then the good news for, for Arsenal is that they cannot draw Bayern Munich in the round of 16. There's, uh, there's... Not this time, not this time. And they can't get Barcelona. <laughs> they they probably will, let's be honest. <laughs> uh, cool. Ben, I, I know you got to get going. I believe you're going to, to Tottenham's game in the Europa League today. Yes, I am. Yes, don't forget the Europa League. It's, uh, you know, it's a big deal for English clubs this year because they're going to be so many, so many sides in there. Liverpool have a chance of it. Uh, United, obviously, are going to be in the draw as well. Everyone will be seeing if they draw Valencia on Monday, which is something that Gary Neville will probably want to avoid or not, given United's current form. But uh, the coefficient ranking is is a talking point in England because the, the performances in Europe were so bad last season in England that there's a, a risk, a small risk, but a risk nevertheless that if Italian clubs do better than English clubs in Europe this year, that in 2017-18, the Premier League would only have three spots going into the Champions League and not four. I think that's very unlikely to happen, but what needs to happen is that English clubs need to take the Europa League more seriously than they do. And if you get a couple of teams going a long way in that, then I think four places will still be um, the target for the Premier League size and the Champions League. 
well, Europa League is, is where Manchester United needs to save some face, I guess. So we'll see what happens with that. Ben, thanks so much for, for joining us and enjoy the game today. Thanks a lot. You got it. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we'll have a clip of Grant Wall's one-on-one with Abby Wambach. Did you miss out on the fantasy football playoffs? Well, in the old days, everyone but the top few players in your fantasy football league had long since dropped out and stopped playing altogether. With FanDuel, it's never too late to join a league with fans from around the world or a private league with your friends. And here, we have a new offer for you. When you use our code PLANET at FanDuel.com, you can enter a no-risk tournament. That's any contest offered on FanDuel at up to $10. If you win, you keep the money. If you lose, FanDuel will refund your account for more play. FanDuel is the best place to play one-week fantasy football. Building a team is easy and fun. You just pick your players and stay under the salary cap. Entry fees start at just $1, so there's a league for everyone. And they also offer games for the NBA and NHL, so you can literally play fantasy sports for real cash any night of the week. FanDuel is not just for large tournaments either. You can set up a private league and play against your friends anytime, anywhere. So, you think you know fantasy football? Come and prove it over at FanDuel.com. Over 2 million players have already won money on FanDuel, and now it's your turn. To get started, go to FanDuel.com and click on the microphone in the upper right-hand corner and use our code PLANET to sign up now. And here's that great new offer. If you enter a league and you don't win, FanDuel will refund your money. That's any contest you want, up to $10. You can sign up on FanDuel.com and use our code PLANET and make a deposit and choose your league. If you don't win, you'll get that money right back in your FanDuel account. The only way to get this no-lose offer is to go to FanDuel.com, click the microphone, and use our code PLANET. FanDuel.com, where it can finally pay to be a fan. That's F-A-N-D-U-E-L.com. Try it out today. We have a special guest on the SI Soccer Podcast today. She is the all-time leading goal scorer in the history of international soccer, she has won one World Cup and two Olympic gold medals. She's retiring after playing her final game for the U.S. next Wednesday in New Orleans. She's Abby Wambach. Thanks for joining me, Abby. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Grant. It's so nice to have the time and the ability to talk to you on a podcast. Where do you want women's soccer and, and even women in soccer to go from here in the coming years? I think women's soccer and women in soccer um, is a huge thing. And, and, and for me, it's not just about soccer. Um, I think that women in every industry, um, not just athletics, women in business, uh, women in politics, um, in every sector, in every industry, in every city, in every country, women uh, deserve equal opportunity. And by the way, so do um, people of all colors, so do people of all orientation. Um, there needs to be a huge consciousness shift in our world of equality. And that is something that I want to be a, a voice for. And I think that the craziest thing about equality, which people don't really get and really even consider, uh, especially the people who are in the majority for the most part, is that equality, is, in fact, is something that is free and accessible to everyone. Mm -hmm. It doesn't cost a single dime to make somebody feel equal. Think about that. That was one of the that was one of the most fascinating things I had ever heard, and and I and I and I've been obsessed with it ever since. And I can't believe that people can't agree to disagree you know i can't believe that we can't just have a conversation about stuff and not try to sway each other's minds about certain things or whatnot but and so on some on, on some points just be like okay well that's cool i think that that's cool for you i disagree but that's i'm, I'm glad that that you you believe in that you know and mm -hmm. And we get so stuck and caught up in all of these boxes that we want to put ourselves in or labels that we want to put on each other. And I just think enough is enough. And, and um, you know, I want I want women's soccer, of course, to continue to grow and 
be bigger and be more popular and be more equal to um not just in pay but the 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 viewership the the corporate sponsorship and whatever it is you know i want mm-hmm. soccer to 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 be as respected um in the united states and 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 abroad as as the men's soccer is but the reality for me too is that it's not just in in sports i want it to be across all sectors okay um it was just announced this week that your memoir a book called forward is going to be coming out um having written a book it's not easy it takes a while what's this process going to be like and who are you working with on it what are you thinking about it yeah i'm i am i'm a crazy um so my my agent actually laughed at me the other day he's like okay well now that you're starting to talk to some of these like big business people, you need to start capitalizing the letter of every first sentence and, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> giving me some hints. But I'm working with Har- I'm working with Harper Collins, and I'm really excited because um, it's not going to be, uh, you know, here's how to play soccer book by Abby Wambach, right? It's going to be a right. little bit more in depth and open up to parts of me that maybe I haven't really shared. Um, uh, and, and, and to be fair, um, I, I find myself to be fairly open in terms of how much I, I, I give myself to whether it be media or my fans. I'm, I'm pretty open and honest and I would answer almost any Mm -hmm. question if asked. Um, but the reality is, is that there's some deep stuff that, that goes down, um, on, on the insides of this, this crazy person here that, um, that, and that's a joke that, (laughs) that I think people can probably relate to on some level. And, um, some of the stuff that I, that, that I have and some of the things that I've experienced, I think can, um, maybe motivate and move people. And of course, I'm going to talk about hopefully my next chapter and how this all kind of went down and been keeping a diary and um you know i don't find myself to be that interesting but i guess you know what harper collins said is usually most people that say that are the more interesting people on the planet so we'll see you guys can find out for yourself when it when it gets published Again, that was just a clip of Grant's full interview with Abby Wambach, which will be released next week ahead of her final game, which will be at the Superdome in New Orleans. Grant, um, great talk. Obviously, she's she's such a, an introspective person and, and always thoughtful, always always very honest. What was your takeaway from from talking with her this time as her career winds down? Well, compared to March when I went to Portland and uh, sat down with her for quite a while for a Sports Illustrated magazine story. Even then, she was very sort of questioning what she was going to do when her playing career was over, which we didn't know when that would be then. Uh, Now we know, and in the months since, it's getting clear to me that she's done a lot of thinking about what she wants to do post-playing career. And and as you heard, nothing specific announced yet, but she wants to do something big, and she wants to be out there in the public and... Uh, equality seems like such a huge topic to her. So I'm excited to hear what she may end up announcing before long here. And I think we're going to see a lot of Abby Wambach moving forward, uh, even though she's not playing anymore. Surprise candidate for FIFA president in February? Doubtful, just because of the travel (laughs) required with that. She really wants to spend a lot of time at home in Portland. She feels like one of the reasons she wanted to stop playing was because she wasn't seeing her wife nearly enough. And so I could see her uh, doing things that... uh, don't require her to travel a lot. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, let's shift gears entirely now. We've got one more interview coming up uh, to cap this week's podcast. There was one done uh, a couple weeks ago. It was the last one done in our old humble, humble, humble podcast studio. Oh, that closet was just terrible. Um, so with Christian Seifert, he's the head of the Bundesliga. Uh, Bundesliga is trying to do some big things in, in globally, trying to get more more attention you see that their games are on on fox now on a, on a weekly basis uh just see for i guess what, what's what's his role in in all of this and and what did you think of, of sitting down with him well he's mainly a business guy who's trying to 
uh, get the Bundesliga bigger globally. They do really well domestically. And, and as anyone who's been watching on Fox this year uh, regularly sees, it's a fun league to watch. Very high quality, great atmosphere, a um, lot of good players that in the past we used to see just you know on Champions League. And, and now it's a lot easier to see what is so great about this league. And so um, I think he realizes he has a good asset uh, but he also knows the work that needs to be done to catch up to the Premier League. Really smart guy. Enjoy talking to him. Yeah, I personally enjoy watching watching the Bundesliga a lot. It's it's a lot more than just Bayern Munich, and I don't know if 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 the masses know that yet, but they they certainly will soon. Uh, so when we come back, we'll take a quick break, and then it'll be Grant Wall and Christian Seifert one on one. We just say goodbye to MLS and another offseason beckons. The NFL won't be far behind. But don't miss out on seeing your team in person this year. When you head for the stadium or your favorite concert venues, try the SeatGeek app. It's easy to find the best deals, and now, with our code PLANET, you get a $20 rebate. Here's how it works. You download the SeatGeek app on your iPhone or Android. It's free and light on your data. Then, you search for your event, find the deal for you, enter our code PLANET, and when you complete your purchase, SeatGeek will pay you $20 via check or PayPal. SeatGeek pulls all the ticket buying and selling options from other ticket sites into one place to save you time. SeatGeek also knows the fair market value of every ticket. They use that information to show you the best deals and help you find underpriced seats. Also, if you have tickets you can't use, SeatGeek will help you quickly sell them to another fan. Hate those sneaky fees at the end? SeatGeek has the lowest fees of any ticket site out there and always shows you the full price up front. So, to redeem your promo code and get your $20 check, download the free SeatGeek app today, enter our promo code PLANET in the app, and SeatGeek will then send you $20 once you've made your first SeatGeek purchase. For the NFL, the best concerts, or the NBA, try the SeatGeek app, and don't forget to enter our code PLANET for $20. Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, Steph Curry, the stars are out in pro basketball this season. Chris Mannix and the Open Floor Podcast is essential listening for all NBA fans. Every week, you'll hear expert analysis from Chris and a slew of great guests, from current pro players and coaches to fellow journalists and former ballers. Open Floor, SI's NBA podcast with Chris Mannix. Find it on iTunes, Stitcher, and SI.com slash podcasts. We have a very special guest on this week's Sports Illustrated Soccer podcast. He's been the CEO of the German Bundesliga since 2005. His name is Christian Seifert. Thanks for joining us today. I'm very happy to be here. So you're here in our very humble, as you can now see, podcast studio in New York City at Sports Illustrated. Uh, you've no doubt visited the United States before. Do you think European soccer, and in particular the Bundesliga, are bigger in the U.S. now than what you've seen in previous years? Um, for the Bundesliga, I can say yes, of course, because uh, since that season, uh, we, we have a contract with Fox. And in the years before, even when you were a hard fan, um, it was not so easy to find the Bundesliga. Um, when I started in 2005, in fact, we have practically not even a contract <laughs> with, a, with a broadcaster. And um, since that year, it changed. And in the last 10 years, um, the Bundesliga changed a lot of things. Um, I would say it's on the rise. And um, therefore... Um, what we see is that the Bundesliga is maybe in a better shape than ever before from, uh, from a perspective of, of a fan here in, in the United States. But also uh, soccer is, uh, has, an, has a very, very good development um, in the U.S., what we see from our, use, from our research. You mentioned Fox Sports. It's now possible to see Bundesliga games every week on, on FS1. Uh, the big Fox network is going to be showing eight games from the Bundesliga in calendar year 2016, uh, which is good news, I'm sure. Um, when you look at every league in Europe, they're trying to get bigger in the United States and elsewhere globally. Why do you think the Bundesliga, in, in what ways are you guys better positioned than other leagues to capitalize on that? I mean, first of all, um, going global as one of the world's leading um, soccer leagues is more or less a must because all the others are doing also. Mm -hmm. You know, Not every player um, who kisses his shirt after he's scoring plays for love. <laughs> Some of them play for money. And, Imagine that. And, yeah. And, um, it, in fact, it doesn't matter so much uh, where the media contracts are coming from. 
Um, so we are going globally because all the others do and the others do because we are going globally. So it's, of course, a competition between the European top leagues. And as um, actually the number two of the European top leagues in the UEFA ranking and in terms of revenue, the number two also, um, we are, of course, uh, one of the pack who is looking around the world when it comes down to, to soccer and different markets. Um, what makes the Bundesliga special? I mean, at the end, the fan has to decide. Mm. Um, but the Bundesliga delivers everything what football is all about. Um, it's very fast attacking football. Um, you see real tactical excellence on the pitch because football is a very complex game where 11 players must be orchestrated. Uh, in the Bundesliga stadiums, um, you may be aware of the fact that uh, the Bundesliga has um, the highest attendance of all soccer leagues all around the world, right. 43,000 people um, in every of the 306 games. Um, and of course, and this shows that it's also very entertaining to watch Bundesliga, since 25 years, the Bundesliga is the highest scoring top league in Europe, last mm -hmm. season, 2.75 goals per game. And if you put that all together, I would say it's just worth watching. But the good thing is in in um, uh, in 2015, you can watch nearly every, every uh, soccer league and then you decide um, who is the one you want to uh, uh, join or you want to follow. And we think that we have some of the best teams and some of the best players um, in the world and therefore um, we are very happy that more and more fans also in the US are, are following us. I've always been fascinated by the attendance that the Bundesliga gets. Uh, the volume, just the numbers in every stadium, when you look at it on TV, the atmosphere is very good. Um, what is there in the history of the Bundesliga and German soccer that has helped create that, that sort of real at atmosphere and real desire to attend games? Well, I think it goes back to 1954, hmm. uh, when Germany won the World Cup um, in Switzerland um, nine years after the end of the Second World War. Mm -hmm. um, that gave that money a lot of pride back. And I think that there's maybe no country in the world who get who got so so many things back from just one sport. Hmm. And um, since 1954, everyone wants to be a soccer player. And because that was the generation of our fathers and grandfathers, hmm. all the children and grandchild grandchildren, um, wants also to become um, soccer players. Mm -hmm. uh, from a today's perspective, for the media industry, for instance, it's not so easy because we don't have uh, cricket, we don't have rugby, we don't have basketball. Um, in Germany, it's sometimes, some people say too much soccer because mm -hmm. it's uh, number, the, the first the top three sports is soccer, soccer, soccer. <laughs> um, and so therefore, since the 50s, this sport is very much linked to the society. And the second thing is that um, the clubs never lost the connection to the society. Mm -hmm. Even if you, and you mentioned it, um, see a crowded game in Dortmund, for instance, with the biggest standing terrace in the world, 25,000 people standing and jumping and thinking and whatever. And when you're standing right in the middle of it, it costs you $17. Wow. And of course they could charge more, the club, but they don't. Mm -hmm. um, because they want to have this connection to the fans and they want, and it's a decision of the club management that everyone from every part of the society, no matter how old they are, no matter how rich they are, um, should be able to afford um, to come to a soccer game. And this makes it very special. On the other hand, it's a big challenge mm -hmm. um, to manage this because um, you want to, we want to be, and we have to be, one of the biggest soccer leagues in the world was one of the best teams, some of the best teams, some of the best players. On the other hand, should be linked and have a deep root in the society. It's, um, it's sometimes it's a big challenge. It's interesting. I, I did a big story on Bayern Munich for Sports Illustrated about a year and a half ago and spent time over there. And um, I was reading it. Oh, okay, great. I hope you liked it. Uh, was the best story. <laughs> <laughs> But many people I spoke to talked about how there's – they use the term social mission uh, with the clubs in the Bundesliga. I've never really heard that as much in England. 
um, and to be honest, almost never in the United States. Um, what you know? What does that mean? And is that tied to the the fifty plus one, fifty percent plus one rule that that means that the members are always going to to be in charge at a club? Um, I think the social mission has not so much to do with the fifty plus one rules because um, also the exam, also the um, uh, the clubs we have who don't fall under the 50 plus 1 rule, for instance, Leverkusen, where Chicharito plays right now, or Wolfsburg, um, or Hoffenheim, they have, also, they have also a very, very strong commitment to their, I would not say social mission, but um, their, their social position hmm. in the society. And at the end, I cannot explain where it comes from <laughs> exactly, but um, I think... Um, it's the right approach because at the end also the club and the management and the players, they owe something to the society. I mean, in um, also in Germany, not so many communities um, have so much money anymore. Nevertheless, they invested in stadiums or in streets around the stadiums mm -hmm. or in whatever. And therefore, I think it's, it's okay when clubs say, and it's important when the clubs say, yes, we know that we want to give something back to the Bundesliga, but nevertheless, it's not only that; it's just part of the DNA of the Bundesliga. For instance, in a lot of in a lot of stadia, you find right now kindergartens, you know, mm -hmm. or you find a family block mm -hmm. where you can go with your kids and you get a special price mm -hmm. um, when you have four seats, um, and um, on and on. And so you f will find many examples that where the Bundesliga is and the Bundesliga clubs are are trying to um, uh, trying to deal in a way that is social and professional as well. But as I said, it's a big challenge. For instance, uh, Borussia Dortmund has 80,000 people watching every game, but um, every season they, um, they make um, around 75, 80 million dollars less um, with ticket sales compared to Manchester United. Mm -hmm. um, and 80 million the year means a few very, very good players. Yeah. You know, and um, dealing with that let's say from a from a money perspective disadvantage from a social social perspective advantage right. is sometimes not so easy i can understand the the balance you're trying to strike there uh, could you explain to our listeners who may not know what the 50% plus 1 rule is in germany um so the 50 plus 1 rule means that um each of the uh, of the club first of all um belongs um to its members because we have clubs, they are 100 years old, more than 100 years old. And um, each club once was founded by its members. And the 50 plus 1 rule, rule means that um, 50 plus 1 vote has to stay with the members, except you support as a company or as a, um, as, as a major um, role player in that, uh, in that club. Um, the club for more than 20 years. Then you are allowed um, to take over the majority of the votes. For instance, the last club who made this was Hoffenheim, mm -hmm. um, the one of the uh, founders of SAP, mm -hmm. uh, Mr. Hopp. Um, he supported his clubs for 25, 30 years. And then he was allowed to take over the club. But the members have then to vote for. And they decided, yes, we want that he is allowed to take over this club. Okay. So for now, at least, that prevents um, potentially a sheik from the Middle East, uh, uh, an oligarch from Russia from coming in and Who buying. you are talking about? <laughs> I'm not talking about anyone in, in particular, but that prevents somebody or, or a very wealthy American from coming in and taking over a club. I, is that a good thing or is that potentially not a good thing? Um, as all medals, it has two sides. So first of all, um, no matter if a Shaikh or a Russian or an American, there can be very, very good investors, um, very serious, um, where you exactly know where the money comes from and they are very long-term committed. So. I don't want to talk about a country or nationality and said, oh, this is maybe a question mark if an investor comes out of that country, because mm -hmm. this is not the point we're talking about here. Um, the point we're talking about here is um, 
when in Germany 75%, 75% of all Germans say the Bundesliga belongs to that country. And the Bundesliga is important because it brings people and society, the society together. Mm -hmm. Then our deep understanding and belief is that we cannot treat the Bundesliga only as a product. Of course, it is also a product, but not only as a product. Mm -hmm. This is why there is an exception um, of the 50 plus one rule, um, which today means um, you have to support the club for more than 20 years. Mm -hmm. Maybe in the future, it will be 10 years or whatever. Right. But the, the reason behind that rule is when you stay for the club for so long, with the club for so long, then you convinced the members, but also the other, the other clubs in the league mm -hmm. that you are really interested and committed to this club and to this league. You see in some other um, uh, leagues, some examples where people come in and they start more or less to trade the club, you know, and some clubs were sold three or four times in one season. Um, and on a certain point, um, sooner or later, maybe it's not the best investor anymore who gets in, mm -hmm. but that automatically damages not only the meaning of this club in the society or in the city, but also potentially um, the quality of the league. And therefore it makes sense to have a look and um, to decide who invests. Right. I'm not saying that this is the right system because also in the NBA or the NFL, you know, not everyone can buy. Of course, the league or, or the owners um, having a very, very clear view on, on the one who, are, uh, who is coming in and, and what he stands for and what he's looking for. Um, but at the end, in, in the Bundesliga, this is, let's say, um, part of the concept. And yes, sometimes it can be a real challenge. Maybe in the future it will become a bigger challenge. But this is why we have to grow globally. Because if you want to have cheap tickets and no investors on, a, on, on some fields, you have to grow. Mm -hmm. And this is why we have to work harder a little bit. Okay. Um, lately, when I talk to people in Spain... Italy and Germany, there's a real concern about how much money the English Premier League is getting from television, domestically, globally, uh, especially with their new deal starting next season. Uh, how concerned are you about some of your best players in the Bundesliga being taken more by English teams with the money that they're going to get? Um. I'm, I would not say that I'm concerned. Okay. So first of all, um, the Premier League deal and what you're talking about means most of all the, the National Premier League deal um, is first of all a result of a media market, mm -hmm. okay? Because uh, Sky in England is very, very successful. BT is also a very successful company and they decide to go in content. And if two companies like that are going in a bidding um, contest, it's very hard not to make a very good um, contract. So it happened and even if I would not sleep at night, they have to contract still. Um, I mean, even 10 years before, the Bundesliga um, had not the most money in, in Europe. From a, today's perspective, revenue-wise, we're number two right now. Mm. Um, and at the end, no matter how much money is in the market, um, from a European point of view, there will always be the best 300 players in the world. It's not, it not depends on the money, it depends on the quality of the players. Mm -hmm. And even if we triple the money on a global scale, there will still be the 300 best players in the world. Mm -hmm. And if you take the best five teams in England, in the starting 11, you have 55 players. And if you take the best five teams in Germany, you have 55 players. And in Spain and Italy also. Mm. And a real good player will not go on the bench for a long time. Right. And a real good player wants to play Champions League. So as long as we have a financial framework that allows our teams um, to be in a competition for some of these players, um, 
then I think we're in a good shape because, as I said, football, soccer, sorry. Um, <laughs> no worries. Burp, burp. <laughs> um, soccer is a very complex game mm -hmm. and it's about to orchestrate 11 players. Mm -hmm. And when Germany won the World Cup, in the first game versus Portugal, everyone was writing and talking about how Ronaldo will perform. And in the semi-final against Brazil, everyone was talking and writing about the Neymar was injured. Right. And in the final, everyone was talking about if Messi won the first World Cup title. But at the end, the German team won. Right. And as long as our clubs are able to set up the best teams, and that's, that has something to do with money, with quality of coaches, with spirit in the teams, um, as long we will play a certain role in the world of soccer. There are good teams in the Bundesliga not named Bayern Munich. Uh, Dortmund got to the Champions League final a couple of years ago. Uh, Schalke has done well in Champions League. Um, we've seen Leverkusen, Wolfsburg. Uh, and yet... Uh, Bayern in the Bundesliga the last three years has won by the title by 10 points, 19 points, and 25 points. Uh, Bayern currently has a five-point lead. Uh, how, how do you change things so that people aren't asking if Bayern has already won the title in November? Um, so I think, first of all, if a club makes just a very, very good job um, you could not blame them. And um, they not only won the titles in the Bundesliga, um, they were able to destroy Arsenal 5-1. to one, right. And they didn't have a chance for a second. Um, so, and Bayern Munich makes this job without money from outside, as you right. said, um, just by their own, which shows that they're probably... Um, in, in very good, they have very good management, very good coaches, and they are not the richest club in the world of soccer. Right. So, of, obviously, they are doing a very good job. When the Premier League was founded, um, in the first, I guess, 10 or 11 years, Manchester United won the title eight times. In fact, no one said, oh, that was very boring. Um, that was the birth of the image of the Premier League and especially of Manchester United. Um, and I'm sure that Bayern Munich and Borussia Dortmund would play under the top five in England. Yeah. And Borussia Dortmund right now has 29 points, which is also not so bad. But as you said, Bayern Munich is in a very good shape. If that will last for the next 10 years, I'm not sure. Because um, at the end, sometimes you have a phase where everything fits together. Right. And everything works. Um, maybe Bayern Munich will won the title, will win the title six or seven times in ten years. I'm, I do not think that we that that will last forever. Mm -hmm. But in fact, I rather have the best team in the world in my league than having not, and explaining everyone that we are so exciting. You know. Yeah. And um, at the end, it's about. That leads right now to the nature of football. The perspective of the dominance about the title is, if you allow me to say that, very much driven by an American view on sports because you have only one NBA champion, one, only one Super Bowl winner, only one Stanley Cup winner. Right. Um, in fact, in the Bundesliga, you have um, six different decisions mm -hmm. where it's all about. And on a national level, we would not have 43,000 people watching every game if they feel bored but you are following um, a game or um, competition as long as your team is involved in some kind of decision. Mm -hmm. And um, last season, on the last match day, um, nine teams were already involved mm -hmm. in the decision about quality, uh, a qualifier of Champions League, Europe League, relegation. There's something whatever. at stake. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So the challenge um, for us is, and our clubs were very conservative, maybe too conservative in the past. Our challenge is to get the fans, for instance in the US, more used to some club names and clubs and history to, um, uh, to clubs from the Bundesliga. Right. Um, because following the Bundesliga is 
real fun, very exciting, and um, watching it live, um, especially in the stadium, but also on television, um, is also big fun. So um, this is something that we have to explain people a little bit more, that it's not about only about the title. And um, by the way, last season Bayern Munich was 10 points ahead and Chelsea was 8. So it's not um, that big difference. Right. And we will see what, what happens at the end. I, I do want to do a story someday on, we've seen this in the, with Premier League in the U.S. where they, people will do a story on how to pick a Premier League team and, and this club stands for this and this club stands for that. I haven't seen that done here in the U.S. yet with the Bundesliga. So I, it's something I'd like to do to sort of explain some of these clubs that maybe aren't as widely known uh, here Absolutely. in the U.S. But also have a, but also have a, uh, have a great tradition. I mean, in the last three World Cups, um, 220 players from the Bundesliga were released to the World Cup. Mm -hmm. And um, the Premier League has around 290 or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but Premier League and Bundesliga released the most um, number of, of national players <coughs> Sorry, um, to the World Cup. Uh, look, for instance, today we have, let's say, uh, a, a high number of Japanese players. You know, right. I guess we have six or seven Japanese national players. Right. Um, we have very good players from, from Africa, from all around Europe. Um, and therefore, that shows for itself, that speaks for itself, that the quality in the Bundesliga is more than watching yeah. just one team. Okay. I, I wanted to ask about your thoughts on Major League Soccer really quickly because I know that it's set up differently than European leagues. Uh, they really actively want every team to have a chance at the beginning of the season to win the championship. And they set up salary caps and all these things like the draft that you just don't see in Europe. Um, what, what do you think of Major League Soccer and their model about how they're doing things? Uh, so first of all, some of the rules I would love to discuss in Europe, but it makes no sense because they would be forbidden for European law. For instance, salary caps mm -hmm. or also um, the draft system. Um, so it bec because it's against the freedom of work in, mm -hmm. in Europe. Um, but of course, that makes a lot of sense mm -hmm. um, from a just competitive standpoint. Mm -hmm. And... Um, I would love to discuss the one or another thing, as I said, because I think it could be real interesting also for European football, but for a regular reason, it, it makes no sense. I think that the Major League Soccer make, made a, a great development. Mm -hmm. I think Don Garber and his team uh, made some real good and wise decisions. Mm -hmm. And I remember in 2007, we met um, in, in Miami Don Garber and Ivan Casitas then, who right yeah. now runs Arsenal, uh, who is also a great guy. And we were talking about the future and the secrets, or not not secrets, no, sorry, stupid word, but but some some of the DNA of the Bundesliga. And we were talking about the atmosphere, the stadia, and whatever. And um, in these days, we were talking also about the, the big factor of stadia infrastructure, because... Germany, because of the World Cup 2006, they changed the stadium infrastructure. Mm -hmm. In fact, before the World Cup 2006 decision was done, we played in the stadium, stadium which were which were built for the World Cup in 1974. And um, I think that the Major League and the owners made some very good decisions that they invest in real stadium infrastructure. Mm -hmm. Because it's the one thing, and you can see this also in Germany, to see... 25, 28,000 people in a fully packed soccer dedicated stadium with great atmosphere. Or you see these 28,000 people lost in a 75,000 people baseball stadium. Mm -hmm. So the atmosphere and again, mm -hmm. the, the, the common experience, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, and I like, by the way, the idea of the MLS claim it's all about the fans. Mm -hmm. uh, because this is a real part of the experience of watching soccer. Right. So I think they make a real good development. In our research, we see that soccer is growing and growing and growing. In fact, soccer in the United States has more fans than people living in Germany. Hmm. You know, more than 80, 80 million people wow. in, in, in the United States say we're interested in soccer. It is more than people living in Germany. Um, there's really interesting FIFA research. Uh, the two countries where most people... Um, played actively soccer mm. um, is number one China, number two United States. Hmm. And I think 
if I look in the future, um, I cannot say in the next 10 years, maybe 15 years, maybe 20 years, but we will see that in a major league soccer, you will have active European national players playing here. Mm -hmm. I think it's certainly possible. We're just starting to right now, like with Jovinko uh, in, in Toronto and playing on the Italian team, but there still aren't many players in their prime, you know, in their 20s yeah, playing but, but here. This, but I'm right absolutely now. sure this will come. Uh, well, Christian Seifert, thank you very much for speaking to Sports Illustrated. We really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you for being in this great podcast studio. <laughs>